from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Thursday, February 21st, 2008. In today's episode, I talk to actor Justine Bateman, writer Peter Murrieta, and actor Michael Heister about new media. But before we begin, a couple of news and notes. As the writer strike has revealed, the entertainment industry is in the midst of radical change unlike anything seen since Thomas Edison invented motion pictures or Philo T. Farnsworth invented the television. I suppose we have Nikola Tesla to thank now as Media Convergence defines how we stay connected with friends and family, how we get our news, and how we watch entertainment, and even for some folks, how they have sex. The scope of new media is redefining every aspect of what I, as a performer, do, including how I do it and how I get paid for it, and thanks to HD technology and CGI, even how I look doing it. From mobile phones to social media, actors, writers, and all digital and electronic artifacts will pioneer new ways of expression in the age of information. As the writers prepare to vote on the proposed ballot next week, actors are ramping up their contract negotiations with the AMPTP. SAG's contract is set to expire in June. Yesterday, I attended an informational meeting organized by SAG in preparation for the New Media Caucus with the SAG board members and negotiators coming up this Friday, February 22nd. As a dual cardholder in both SAG and AFTRA, I will be covering these developments like I did for the writer strike. And when I do, you can follow me over at my new website, bravenewmedia.tv. Okay, that's it for now. Let's begin our talk with Justine Bateman, Peter Murrieta, and Michael Heister. This recording took place at the United Hollywood Swag photo shoot last week at the Writers Guild headquarters. Who wants to start? Um, right. Somebody wants to start. Uh, I'll start. Okay. okay. Oh, did you want to hold it? Okay. Play who you are. Okay, uh, Justine Bateman, uh, actress writer. Uh, recently, I was uh, speaking uh, on a panel in Boston, Massachusetts, and there were a lot of, uh, it was NPR sponsored, and, and there were a lot of kids there from colleges, of course, because, uh, you know, highly co- high concentration of colleges in that area. And um, they were asking, how do I become an executive producer, or how do I get my stuff on the air, and stuff like that. And I said, uh, I said, you just shoot it. Set a high standard for yourself. You know, we don't. Nobody needs more user content, I don't think. I mean, there's a place for it, but... And you shoot it and set up a website, get it set up, link your website with your friends' websites, and create this ever-enlarging spiral of websites that are connected together. Call your other friends at the other colleges, you know, hook up with, like, Harvard and Emerson and whatever, and link them all together, and then you'll have this incredible, you know, place where people can just go from site to site and see original content. And I said to them, and if you're concerned about, you know, move over product, where we come over to a network or pay cable station or something I said they pay people to troll the internet and find product that they're going to develop and I said so that's what you do because eventually you know the corporations aren't going they're going to be more they're going to be more involved in delivering the pipeline into your house and creating content so I just said to them just do it just do it that's what people can do can you comment on the difference between creating art and creating content 
Well, I think the uh, difference between creating art and content is just it, it has to do with the person who's creating the product. I mean, either you have a high standard for yourself and for the people you work with, or you work with people who also have those high standards, or you don't. You know, because, um, yeah, you can make whatever you want, and uh, it just depends on how, uh, how talented you are and how, how willing you are to work to get it to a standard you're happy with. Your first piece... That? Yeah. About the yeah. content, the Peter Marietta, I'm a writer. I think that somebody, not a writer or an actor or a director, came up with the word content. <laughs> I'm guessing it was somebody who was in business or had an MBA, and the minute that that label became the thing that describes what we do was the minute we agreed that it was nothing more or less than a can of corn on a shelf. And uh, I think that it's also, you, you run the risk of sounding pretentious if you say what you do is art or you're an artist, but um, ultimately I'm a storyteller, and um, I want to take care and I want to take pride in the stories that I tell, and uh, I think that's what Justine's talking about, the high standard of that. And so I see no difference other than using the word that they've decided to use that makes what we sound makes what we do sound incredibly banal and mundane when it's not it's very hard Uh, Michael Heister actor, writer and podcaster we're talking about the difference between uh, basically between art and uh, goofing around there are a couple of writers uh, Sam and Jim they've got a podcast called Sam and Jim Goes to Hollywood they refer to YouTube as the 99 cent store of home of, of internet video and uh, their point is that, that most people posting videos on YouTube they're just posting gags and what we're talking about when we're talking about and I actually like the word content a lot more than you do sir but when we're talking about content we're talking about creating something that uh, that has uh, has more I'll say lasting value I mean how many times can you stare at a hamster dancing so uh, and, and to, to follow with what Justine said, I mean, I think what you do is you put your best foot forward and you put out something that shows what you're able to do. And eventually it will find, uh, well, if it's good, it's going to find an audience. Yeah. Okay. Um, why are we sitting here together? Why are we all wrangled together? Because the guy who wrangling, led this whole sit-down has split. Well, I'll tell you why we were here, why this got wrangled together is... My One of my oldest friends, uh, John Gatons, was in charge of a strike team called the Jaguars. And he named okay. it. We didn't. Okay. But when uh, we hooked up and I brought my team on, we grew in numbers. And I think we, um, for most of the strike, um, we gained in numbers. The days went on and we got oh, yeah. bigger and bigger. And it may have been the hats that we had made. It may be um, just the place we were or whatever. But it was a very great group of people and there was a lot of screenwriters a lot of tv writers almost everybody in our group was working writers and we had a really nice relationship with everybody and uh we stayed uh, strong throughout the strike so that's sort of where we got to here and justine was uh somebody who came down the first day of the strike second day of the strike then there was the big stars picketing day and then she came the fourth day and the fifth day till eventually several writers and I were like was she going to keep coming or <laughs> what's the hell's going on there um, I, I was, she's never stopped I've been very impressed with your presence on the internet it's nice to see a woman understand the technology I'm just really excited about what's going on I mean uh, I had a feeling that a shift was going to happen in the industry, and um, I think this is actually just the beginning of it. I think there are going to be a lot more changes that really completely deconstruct 
people like that word rather than destroy um, this business grid of TV and film and uh, there's going to be a really a brand new grid and or I think of many new grids and, um, and anything after that there's going to be a creative uh, renaissance that's not a rehash of something we've had in the past but something so new to us uh, in the way that uh, the 60s must have been a, a absolutely mind boggling for those who were accustomed to things in 1955 yeah. I mean it wasn't a rehash of the 20s or the 30s or anything it was something Jimi Hendrix and Woodstock and everything was so completely brand new I think we're going to get something that again is completely brand new to us that we couldn't have conceived of it and I think I think before that can come a new grid has to be established so it can rest on it but you know I read a study by Nokia that by 2012 which happens to be the uh, year that the mind calendar is supposed to reach some singularity kind of thing they said that um, user generated content on the internet is going to be 25% and you kind of had a comment about user generated content what, what were you really saying? I mean uh, who was saying about the 99 cent store I mean if, to me user content is you know sometimes there's, you can find I've found some a couple of really phenomenal items but my god it's like going through a thrift store and just like pawing through those bins to find that cute <laughs> hat you know so I mean how phenomenal for the users to for the you know, the users, I mean, like people who are actually on the computer looking for something to watch, to be able to go to a site like, uh, you know, we've just set up uh, our company, uh, FM78.tv, and we're going to have original content produced, uh, you know, professional original content that's up to the high standards we set for ourselves without you having a lot of studio or network notes or changing everything. I mean, imagine if you got to see the content that the that the the product that the writers and the director and the actor wanted to do. So that's There's an old story that is in a William Goldman book about how a writer who lives in Kansas comes to LA and meets a studio executive, which is already fiction because you can tell a guy just comes from Kansas and meets with a studio executive. But he gets here and the studio executive says, why did you come here? And he said, well, I'm at home and I watch the movies and I watch the TV that's on and at the movie theaters and I think, oh my God, I can do better than that. I'm going to go out there. I'll be, I'll, be, I'll be a hero. And he said, oh, yeah, no, let me get you something straight. He goes, you have to do it so well that once we're done messing with it, it's still watchable. <laughs> That's how good you have to be. Well, I think that, you know, there, we're coming up quickly on the time when you're going to be able to see professional storytellers, actors, and directors do what they do, where we are our own checks and balances, and we get to um, hold ourselves up to our own standards. And uh, I think people will get to see that, which is, I guess, the best era that that resembles would be the early to mid-70s in filmmaking? Yeah, yeah the independent yeah, filmmaking. Yeah. You're going to have... Yeah, the... But I think it's even going to be better than that because the technology with which to film something and then distribute it is so available versus, you know, versus in the 70s. It was a phenomenal time for filmmaking, but you still had to get a camera. You had to afford the film. You had to get it distributed somehow. 
and now those channels are so much uh, more accessible. So you can basically, what you're saying is you're going to go work around the studio and the networks to create content. Sorry, I have to use that word, but... Yeah, that's all right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, one of the, you know, uh, technology has changed where, you know, you can use it instead of using a film camera, you have the digital cameras and all of that. But additionally, the bottom of the distribution pyramid mm-hmm. has fallen away. So there's no, nobody has a stranglehold of distribution anymore, and that's the biggest change. And well, then my biggest question yeah. before you start is, well, how are you going to unionize this? Oh, unionize what? I think it already is, right? It's what already you covered. You mean union? I'm union. I'm SAG. Yeah. I'm SAG. I'm after. How are you going to union, unionize union con- contract? You use mm-hmm. a union contract. Yeah. We don't suddenly do non-union work. We yeah. use a union contract. The internet is SAG territory. The internet is DGA, WGA territory. Period. So period. I mean, I think we, that's one of the biggest gains. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the jurisdictional element that we got in our contract is one of the biggest gains that probably you can't point to right now and go, aha, here's the dollar value of that. But what it, it portends is the future. And then the other thing is, you know, the fact that we're even having this conversation, we still have business partners in the studios. And I think this negotiation showed that we are supposed to be taken seriously as partners and in the future as the distribution model changes as Justine said I think we will find ourselves more and more their partners in terms of what things happen on the internet or people are trolling the sites looking for shows well just like in quarter life when they find a show they want that person's suddenly going to be their partner um, in a much more legitimized monetized way than mm-hmm. in past so I think the revolution's happening whether people want to ha- be a part of it or not and it's just a question of who recognizes it first and who gets there I also think, too, um, the idea of, I mean, the jurisdiction that was given is simply means that if the studio is going to do a production on the Internet, they are going to make sure it's union. But the Internet is nobody's That's what I'm saying. So it's union because if I'm a producer on a project or I'm just an actor in some project, it's union. Because I believe in the union and I belong to a union and and I don't do non-union work. I mean, you can't, there's no professional... No professional writer, director, actor worth what they do is not in the unions. So they go do stuff on the internet, it's union. They, you can't suddenly do non-union work. So it's union because we say it is. That's why. So what about somebody like me who's in a union and is creating user-generated content and I'm getting people to help me but I'm not paying them? What, is, what does that make me? A non-union shop? Where are you doing on-camera work and oh. you're getting your, okay. your, you are collecting ad dollars or something like that? Okay. You know, I, first of all, it has to be on camera. I mean, I'm not as familiar with the contracts for radio and so forth. And But, you know, particularly if you're monetizing it. I mean, in fact, I think there's a market for creating content that goes on the Internet that is not monetized yet. But once you do, all these union contracts are going to kick in. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to say that too as is a people standard, have, but people it's have their own, possible. People have their own choices to make there, too. I mean, yeah. there's a site that starts in someone's bedroom and gets, you know, big and they find it's two, three people making it and then suddenly they've got all this infrastructure and they've got ads. and Like Ask a Ninja. For example, at some point, then they have to ask themselves that question with the money coming in, whether they're going to be a union shop or not. And I think well, they, they have to decide that. And I mean, uh, you know. And I think, too, you know, if somebody, if somebody on one of those shows wants to, when that show is done, actually continue working on camera and they find themselves on one of our sets, on one of our internet content sets, we'll say you're going to have to join the union. Join the union. Yeah. I mean, yeah. do you know what I mean? There's only so much work you can do. 
if you start working with people who have done this professionally for a while, you are going to have to join. I mean, we, we all firmly believe in the unions, and we know we see how it benefits us, and there's just no, there's no benefit whatsoever in going around it. I have, a, I have two more questions. Let's throw us forward 20 years. Another disruptive technology fucks up the entertainment industry and the way we do business and the way we create art and content. What do you have to say to our future brothers and sisters on the line when they go to picket? Or when they I go to strike? It on. I love the idea of there being another disruption. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's just, I mean, look how much has changed in three months. Three months? Come on, when's the last time so much changed in three months? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think a strikes in the future will be sort of smaller and more pointed. I mean, don't you think? I don't think the AMPTP is going to be this monolith of, you know, or even worth if they protesting are. in the future. I mean, or I even know. if they are, I mean, I feel like the question you're asking, I'm going to answer it on a personal level. Like, I've learned that um, stress and these kinds of situations reveal people's character. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess if there's anything you want to give as a message to anybody in the future, it's just, you know, check in with who you want to be and who you want to be remembered as and uh, let that be your guide. Because there are people in this struggle this time that have surprised me both ways. In what way? What's, give me an example. Surprise me as to who they are, they aren't who I thought they were. In you a know. disappointing way, you're saying? Both, oh, both. Okay. People who I thought were great have disappointed me, and people who have always disappointed me have stepped up and been amazing. And I think, you know, if there's any piece of advice to anybody about uh, union action like this, it's check in with yourself and uh, make sure you make decisions that you're going to feel proud about and that you don't mind being remembered for. That's good. I also think, too, you've got to you think about the whole union. You got to think. You can't just be thinking about whether or not you know. I mean, look. Most of the people I was picketing with, they don't work for scale. They don't think that much about residuals. They get a lot of money up front, yeah. and yet there they were because they understood the big picture. They understood everything was changing. They understood that if they didn't make this stand, that they they understood they were the custodians of this contract, and if they screwed it up and didn't go on strike, didn't give a shit, and thought, this isn't really going to apply to me anyway, then all these people were in the film schools and everything and coming across from Kansas or whatever and hoping to meet with a studio executive would never be able to make a living in this business. And that's what I think labor conflict is about. You've got to start thinking about the whole picture and how are you going to, you know, like, uh, like Peter was saying, you know, how do you want to be remembered? How, how well a steward were you of this contract? Because somebody did it for me, like the SAG contract, who, you know, back in, I think, the 60s when they established residuals and stuff. Here I came in 1981 and benefited from all of that, not knowing anything about it. Somebody did that for me, and hopefully somebody 20 years will go, oh, thank God those unions 20 years ago, you know, set this up for us, or we would never be able to make a living. Okay, final question as we wrap this up. For a democracy, for a healthy democracy, and for a tool of art and expression, what is the more powerful invention? The printing press or the internet, and why? And please, if you say it's the printing press, please don't say it's because it was first. I don't know that you have the internet without... The printing press. Legacy yeah. notwithstanding, standalone technology. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to go, um, 
I'm going to still, in spite of your qualifications. Did I say you don't no, have no, no. printing press? No, no, no. I'm going to go printing press. Or, I meant the other way. Yeah, and I'm going to go printing press. So. I meant, I meant you don't I'm have the go. internet without the printing press. Well, how did it come out of my with, mouth? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I think I said but it backwards. I thought you sounded, For whoever's you sounded really smart. Whoever's rewinding. Really I meant smart. to say you don't have the internet without the printing right. press. And I think that did come out of That's my mouth. That's awesome. You were able to reason that out like that. So what? Um, so you're going with printing press I'm and why? With printing press because I think that, in terms of civilization, the ability to not have to hand copy a story, and rely the ability, on oral or to rely on oral storytelling, the ability to mass produce stories that could be banked that other people could then take a hold of somebody who told a story that it got copied down and then printed could die and someone else could pick that book up and immediately know what they were thinking and feeling was such a huge shift in civilization and everything after that has been nothing more than a refinement of that that's so well put you copy that you second that motion i second that motion and you know if anything the internet's made us insanely lazy <laughs> you know yeah like I don't yeah. think you don't have to have taken math in school at all to yeah. be able to like no. operate a cash register Mm-mm. remember how you used to like yeah. do you'd have to watch yeah. somebody do the math and count it out and you're like god didn't you take addition you know yeah, yeah. no absolutely and, <clears throat> okay. Uh, yeah. okay all all of that's true but what the internet offers that the printing press didn't sorry to say, and and I write, is interactivity. And it also provides a a place where you have the space of knowledge that everyone can tap into and cross-fertilize and and share and collaborate. Yeah, and that's what musicians are doing now. It's it's like like one of my favorite podcasts, you know, that she's announcing, oh yeah, this this guy was over here in Boston and we heard this singer we liked in Wichita and so we just emailed her our stuff and then she added her vocal tracks and emailed it back and here's the song. They were never in the same studio together. So the internet offers those opportunities that the printing press did not. And that's not to denigrate in any way the importance of the printing press, but I don't even think we know how important that kind of interactivity is yet. Yeah. Well, I think collaborative process is a little bit different. Yeah. You know, it is. I just do. I just think storytelling is storytelling, and the collaboration comes in the different artisans and the different people that tell that story. But ultimately, you need an architect of that story. And uh, an architect, a house built by 20 people is not going to be as good as a house built by one. Hence the current television <laughs> slate. There you go. Good night. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. That rocks. Thank you for your right. time. You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com.